0: We are delighted that this episode of Starts at the Top is sponsored by Avato CRM Solutions. Avato CRM Solutions designs and delivers award-winning customer service, business process outsourcing, and digital and intelligent automation solutions of some of the world's most respected brands, as well as innovative, charity, and public sector clients. They partner with clients to help them define their customer experience and transformation strategies by implementing the right technology, people and processes to improve their customer journey while driving new efficiencies and helping them prepare for the future. To find out more about how Avato CRM solutions could help an organisation like yours, and to receive a free, no-obligation chat, visit hovato.co.uk forward slash Wales Air Ambulance. Four generations
1: coming into the workplace now, they actually think, oh, I have a choice. And with that choice comes the responsibility to think, does this feel like it fits with my own sense of values and purpose and meaning?
0: Welcome to a brand new episode of Starts at the Top, our podcast about leadership, digital and change. I'm Zoe Ammer.
2: And I'm Paul Thomas. Our podcast is all about leadership and brings you interviews with leaders who we believe are driving a positive change in the world.
0: Change comes in many forms and we're equally interested in speaking to leaders who are making incremental change and shifting the dial within their organizations as we are speaking about huge systemic changes that impact the world of work. The driving force of our podcast is to share these stories across sectors and industries so that we can all learn from each other.
2: So today we're sharing our interview with Eloise Skinner, recorded back in July of this year. I can't believe how time is flying. Eloise is an author and psychotherapist whose work focuses on existential topics like meaning, purpose and identity. Eloise's newest book, But Are You Alive?, is about finding meaning and purpose in everyday life.
0: Before we go to our chat with Eloise, there are a couple of news stories that we wanted to share. And the first of these was a story that lots of people have seen all over the media last week. Um, BBC Radio 5 live presenter Nihal Athanaka had talked about an overwhelmingly white working environment at the BBC and how that's affecting uh, his mental health. Um, This was a really interesting story. Firstly, as a person of colour, it really resonated with me. And also, the way in which it got reported in some publications was, I think, slightly misleading in the sense that uh, certainly the more right wing media outlets were saying, oh, well, he's saying that he's, you know, he's against white people. And that's absolutely not what the story was saying. He was mm. talking about representation uh, mm. and the impact that that can have on your mental well being. So I thought that this was. A much needed story which got everyone talking about an aspect of inclusion that doesn't often get a lot of airtime. What is that everyday reality for people from different marginalized groups when they see that they are one of very, very few people like them in their organizations?
2: Yeah, we often talk about representation in the media and representation Uh, in in the world of sport and places like that. But if you actually work in those industries and you walk into a room and you see nobody is like you, then I think that's a a massive challenge. And he also talked in that interview about his move up north to work uh, in Salford. I think he's based in Salford um, at the BBC there and the difference in how he was perceived and... um, there as opposed to being very anonymous in London was quite shocking as well to me when I read that story. But I listened to him quite a lot and and, um, he does a a TV podcast um, and does some really, really amazing interviews uh, across the BBC and I it's it's interesting because I wonder whether that's sort of more emblematic of, is it that station or is it the BBC as a whole? I don't know, but um, it's I don't think he's the first. I think he's very, very um, well respected, though, because of his standing within that organisation. So it will be interesting to see whether it affects any positive change or whether he's criticised further for it I can't believe the right wing pro- can <laughs> I can't believe the right wing press would jump on it of course I can believe that it's ridiculous
0: yeah absolutely and I think what was interesting at least one of the articles that I had read was that the BBC actually commented on it and they seem to be taking it really seriously so hopefully they will do something about it but it's interesting that he was speaking at, at this conference because mm. I don't know, because obviously I don't know him, but I wonder whether, you know, that things had not changed behind the scenes, hence why he was speaking up. About because sometimes that's what it takes, isn't it? You have to go public uh, with your concerns about what needs to happen differently in order for an organisation to take it seriously.
2: Yeah, and an organisation that has... um representation needs to be at the heart of it. We all pay our licence fees. It needs to reflect the diversity of the licence fee payers. So there's a duty of care there for sure. 100%.
0: 100%. So it'd be really interesting to um, see what happens next with that one. Um, really fascinating story. And then something very different. The government released um, its guidance about um, AI and skills for employers this week. So, um, what do you think of, of this one, Paul?
2: Lots of guidance coming out from different Lots areas on, on AI. <laughs> yeah. There seems to be, I think there might need to be some guidance. Uh, on AI guidance, um, very soon, because <laughs> there's sense, lots of yes. people sort of, um, saying, you know, having their, their say. I think because this one, um, appeared on, uh, gov.co.gov.uk, uh, then obviously there is a, a sort of, um, uh, a lot more to it. And also with Innovate UK included in the, in, mm-hmm. in the work, I think Innovate UK and the way that it works with, um, uh, AI startup organizations and innovate, innovative organizations across the UK, I think puts it in a good position to be able to comment on this. Um, but I was going to ask you because you've, you've recently started to look at AI within the, the charity sector. And I think I commented on your LinkedIn post that when I read through the the guidance or the draft that you were starting to put together for the, for the sector, I was immediately taken by, well, I could just share this with everyone that I work with in the corporate world because although there are changes in, in the you know, obvious changes in the questions, actually the outcomes that are needed within those organized, those types of organizations are exactly the same. So yeah, it might come back to that point about. It's great that we have all this guidance being developed, but in terms of practical application of that guidance, I think organizations are still struggling to go, right, okay, well now I'm listening over here and now I should be listening over there. And what do I need to do? What are the practical first steps for me? Because actually this is starting to worry us as an organization, the impact of it.
0: I agree. I mean, what I'm seeing a lot of leaders struggling with at the moment is what to do next. And actually a lot of the, um, This particular set of guidance, it does assume a certain level of knowledge about AI. Mm. So that would be my only caveat with it. We'll put the link in the show notes. But I do think people need to be aware that it almost assumes that you have a certain base level of knowledge and skills in this area. Otherwise, I think people might find it a little bit challenging.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of smaller organisations just don't think about that. And in particular, um, there was an example uh, in an organization I was talking to the other day where there was a a conversation about how ChatGPT was being used by employees to not cut corners, but to help with everyday um, challenges. But those challenges included, or could include, compromising um, personal employee data or compromising uh, client data because they're literally copying and pasting from an internal document into chat gpt3 which is obviously using then that information to start to inform other answers that it gives other people around uh, around the world so if it's if it's at that very early stage of misunderstanding of how these tools can be used and how can they can be used appropriately i would completely agree that you know the how an organization needs to build policy around ai is an important step for them to make, but one that they're just not ready for uh, yet. So I I think, yeah, guidance on the guidance would be my guidance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we'll be covering more stuff about AI in our next season, and we've got some more AI-related episodes coming up as well. So
2: now for our conversation with Eloise Skinner.
0: We are very excited to welcome Eloise Skinner to Starts at the Top today. Eloise is an author and psychotherapist. Having started her career in corporate law, Eloise's work now focuses on existential topics like meaning, purpose and identity. Eloise's newest book, But Are You Alive?, focuses on finding meaning and purpose in everyday life. Welcome to Starts at the Top, Eloise. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. We're thrilled to have you here because there's so much we want to dig into around your experience. But before we start talking about that, you've obviously had this amazing multifaceted career already. Uh, but you've done all these fantastic things, everything from corporate law to being an author uh, to the other work that you're doing now. Can you take us through the story of of what you've done and perhaps how you've decided to do these different things at different stages?
1: Yeah, definitely. And um, it hasn't been a fully intentional, planned out journey, unfortunately. Um, So I actually started my career in law and I did a law degree and the LPC and I just went straight through into the corporate solicitor route. And I really thought that would be a career that I would be in for quite a long time. Um, I absolutely loved studying law. It was just such a good um, fit of a subject for me. I found it fascinating. Um, I enjoyed being a corporate lawyer as well, although it was quite a tough lifestyle. But I really um, enjoyed the experience of being in the city and traveling internationally as well. And then, yeah, after a while, I just started to do other things alongside law. So it was more like... It was more a sense of bringing other interests into the job that I already had. Um, so one thing I did was start to write and I wrote initially for a publication called The Lawyer, um, just articles and things. And then eventually I wrote a book for junior lawyers for the Law Society. And while I was writing and like doing and teaching and sort of working more as an author, um, then I started to really enjoy being an author. <laughs> and I thought maybe I wanna write other things as well that aren't necessarily about law. Um, so I got a book deal for my second book just as the uh, pandemic was starting and I had a bit of a moment where I was like, maybe I'll go hybrid or maybe I'll do like part-time something or try and make it work sort of still having a foot in the door of law, legal career. Um, but eventually when lockdown happened I just thought this is the time to maybe take some a year out or something um so I said to myself like I'll take a year out and now it's been it's been like three years now and I haven't I haven't yet gone back but maybe in the future
0: that's really cool and it's um fascinating because obviously one of the things we talked about when we spoke a few weeks ago was how we're you know well I'm an ex-law and you're kind of on a break from law um but yeah it's one of those careers that just kind of stay with you doesn't it
1: Absolutely. And I think it really gives you a good understanding of the world is what I'm appreciating from my law training now is that I see things in like quite an analytical way. I'm able to like um, make judgments in the way that you would if you were a lawyer, kind of weighing up the evidence. I think it gives you a really good set of like discernment skills and obviously the ability to read and review contracts, which I had underestimated how helpful that is in pretty much any profession. So it's definitely, yeah, I,
0: I appreciate it a lot. That's really good. Yeah, that's that's great. There's a lot of transferable skills, aren't there? Even though it's quite a, a technical profession in many ways.
1: Absolutely. And now, um, so one of the trainings that I did when I was sort of um, coming out of law and into my break was um, to train as a psychotherapist and I can see the sort of legal skills even in that profession which you would think those two things are like therapy and law are probably like a lawyer and a therapist have quite different personalities maybe um, but definitely the ability to sort of assess the situation to take in evidence to kind of listen and observe and yeah I see a lot of um, a lot of the legal skills crossing over as well.
2: Well, they say that accounting is a good step towards coding because you understand spreadsheets and you can build in Excel and lots of yeah. uh, formulas and things like that. So apparently accountants make good coders. So, you know, you're in, you're in a, uh, the, the professions are, are strong in, uh, in, in sort of moving skills into other areas.
1: Definitely. That's unfortunately two skills that I do not possess, <laughs> accounting <Yet>. or coding. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs>
0: It's so interesting just hearing about the the story of your career because I mean to what extent do you think that's perhaps a bit of a, a trend in in kind of younger people just going from you know doing this incredible amount of different things different jobs different kind of careers really following your interests and your your principles is that something that you see in your peer group
1: Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things that actually sort of inspired me to make a career change was the fact that so many people were doing it. I just saw so many of my peers. I was kind of at that stage, um, like three years PQE um, in law where people tend to move around. That's kind of the you're either going to stay or you're going to move somewhere else. It was kind of a bit of a crossroads anyway. But um, I saw a lot of people leaving law, taking career breaks, going to do different things entirely. And um, when you see other people doing it, I think it gives you so much more of a a horizon of what might be possible so I think it's really important to if you're thinking about making a career change to kind of surround yourself with people who are also making big moves in their career or doing different things Um, as to whether it's a generational shift I definitely think people are more aware of what's possible now and obviously you see so many people on the internet on social media doing different careers that you never even thought existed (laughs) like I don't think I would have really ever thought about psychotherapy when I was at university because I don't know anyone who's a psychotherapist or never really encountered that career Um, whereas law was one of those things that I sort of knew okay you could be a doctor or a lawyer or a banker or something Um, but yeah then seeing people doing those careers on Instagram and social media or reading books by those people and just being exposed to more career routes I think really opens up your perspective and then yeah I think the other one of the other elements might be um, sort of the ability to um they sometimes refer to as the side hustle so having like other things going on on the side and I think that is a trend that's become a little bit more normalized of you can have your main job and then you can have other things on the side that are earning you money there's a little bit more of a mentality of it's okay to do multiple different things and then that for me made it easier to actually switch out completely so I had things going at the same time and then yeah making a shift
2: I think that's really interesting because one of the things that you sort of see so I've worked for a long time in professional services and um, financial services and one of the things that I found difficult there was that I had interests in marketing in communications in technology and sort of sat between all three in my career but I wonder whether that was perceived internally as being sort of magpieism oh know, Paul's not really settled, Paul wants to go after this now and he wants to do this rather than I'm just seeing it as well I'm just interested in all these things and I can make the connection so why can't you? Mm. Do you think it's seen now as more of a strength? I think that that side hustle thing has really opened that up. Do you see that now as a strength or has anyone ever sort of taken you aside and said Eloise focus?
1: I'm sure people have wanted (laughs) wanted to do that. Um yeah, I think personally my generation and um, not speaking for all millennials, but like and the generation below are probably quite comfortable with that idea and probably quite confident about bringing it into the workplace. I'm not sure if it's always that well received. I do think there are still careers where having a specialism and having a focus is really the goal. And uh, for me, I was in corporate tax and I felt quite clearly like if i'm gonna stay i need to just focus on what i'm doing because it gets more complex you get more responsibility corporate law can be quite intimidating because you are actually having a huge amount of responsibility and if you're doing five things at once like it, it's not necessarily a career that lends itself to yeah like you said doing, having multiple points of focus um but at the kind of initial stages of the career definitely things like writing or things that are complementing the main thing you're doing i think are. Uh, interesting and the other um the other gift that it gives you if you're sitting across disciplines is the ability to draw kind of parallels or a sense of integration between different ideas that might not necessarily have been spotted if you're just focused on like one thing in particular so yeah like you said if you have a perspective that includes marketing and you bring that back into your specific sector then that gives you a different perspective than someone else which i think is is really valuable actually
2: it's a good mindset shift, isn't it, Zoe? That thinking about it as a gift rather than a, a sort of, a, you know, in the in the work sense. Yes, it's a side hustle, but um, perhaps you start to see that as as a, as a gift, and maybe help other people see it as that as well.
0: I think it's a real plus. I mean, who wouldn't want to live a life where you get to try at different things and learn new things and do different jobs and work with different people? I mean, that whole notion of the job for life is just completely dead and I think that sort of died out with with our parents in many ways didn't it Paul and I think it's it's brilliant to hear that this whole notion is being challenged and that people are living their lives in a much more fulfilling and fruitful way I think because you're gaining so much from it you're developing this really strong base of transferable skills and I think it's very good that that is being valued now. Uh, I mean, I remember back in the day that things like portfolio careers were seen as something you do in, in retirement. But but why not do it earlier in life? That's the way everyone is working now. Most people I know have got several side hustles. Um, so it's a very, very positive thing. It's brilliant. So it seems like there's a bit of a unifying theme through your work, Eloise, around meaning and purpose. And I know that's something we were talking about when we spoke a few weeks ago. And you very rightly challenged me on the difference between meaning and purpose. So can we talk a bit about what that difference means to you? And also what meaning and purpose means to young people coming into the workplace because that's something that we hear a lot from millennials and also obviously the gen z as well
1: yeah i think um absolutely it's kind of the way if the terms fit right for you then that's um that kind of works for you i think it doesn't need to there doesn't need to be necessarily like a rule about meaning or purpose or which one you're using i think because there's such personal concepts as well like everyone should explore what kind of feels right for them um generally i would say in sort of psychotherapy or in the more like um training around these topics meaning tends to be um more like a broader kind of all-encompassing sort of foundational sense of like what you're doing who you are these kind of big more existential topics whereas purpose I think tends to be associated a little bit more with like a practical goal or an objective or like something you're trying to achieve um but again like meaning and purpose I think you can probably just be like use them how whatever works best and but lots of people are trying to find their career purpose which I guess is a little bit more of a practical thing of like what do you feel like is the job for you um or trying to find a sense of purpose through work I was reading a um a Harvard Business Review article the other day that distinguished between having a meaningful career which is like overall a career that delivers you a sense of personal meaning that could be for example if you spend your career in the social impact sector or if you spend your career doing like conservation work or something that is kind of overall even though the different jobs might have specific senses of purpose within them your career is like perceived as meaningful and then they distinguish that from finding meaning at work which they talked about just encountering little pieces of like meaningful moments so that could be a chat with a colleague that could be mentoring someone that could be I don't know getting involved in like um, CSR initiatives at work or something like that and I thought that was a really interesting distinction because I think when you think about what is the meaning of my life or career it can seem like a very intimidating big topic that a lot of people including me feel quite um, like nervous to really approach but when you think about just finding meaningful moments in your everyday life I think that's when it can really come alive and you can find um, a sense of real fulfillment in it
2: and are it's the next generation really looking for that sense of purpose as well within the organization that they're going to work for I think is that the sense that I get is that you know when you've got a choice between three or four different companies that you could go into law for example there are big law firms all over the country in in accountancy exactly the same there's many different charities that focus on things that you might be passionate about but it's that organization that sets out that purpose who has an obvious way that they want to present that, that purpose to the world that people are looking for now
1: yeah, I think it's certainly something that people are paying more attention to. Um, actually, Viktor Frankl, who is the author of Man's Search for Meaning, he um, he was the founder of a lot of this kind of more existential therapy type work. And he had this theory that because, and this was in the 1940s, 50s, so you can see it's kind of still happening today. But his theory was that as um, big social institutions like religion or like um like the family structure, like things that were previously telling people how they should act and what kind of purpose they should have. As those sort of lose a little bit less power over coming generations, as we have like more freedom and more responsibility to choose the things that we care about, then we are forced to make more choices about what we actually want and what what we care about, what our purpose actually is. And so I think for generations coming into the workplace now, they don't accept it as just like already giving you a set purpose. I don't, they don't think, oh, you have to act a certain way. You have to like do this certain career for the rest of your life. They actually think, oh, I have a choice about what I'm going to do, how I'm going to spend my time. And with that choice comes the responsibility to think, does this feel like it fits with my own sense of values and purpose and meaning? And if not, how can I change it?
2: It's so good, isn't it? Because I remember just coming into the workplace going, right, this is what I've studied. How do I then apply that to the workplace? And it wasn't really... Uh, a question I, d- I don't think i mean i always um i probably said this on this podcast before but uh, i geared my education at one point around um, becoming a pilot and then um got too tall really so every 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 organization i applied to said no sorry you're too tall you won't fit in our cockpit um and then the only thing that was open to me was um was the raf and at that point in time so the raf you can fly these big sort of big cockpitted planes, I guess. But at that time, I did make a, a sort of a decision, I guess, that that didn't really fit with my sort of worldview. I didn't really want to go into the RAF, but I would never have re- referenced that in those terms, that I was actually sort of turning away from one profession for physical reasons, but also when something opened up to me was saying, no, that's not quite right. That that doesn't feel right. It doesn't fit right. But I don't think I would have ever said that was going against my individual purpose, if that makes sense. It's lovely to see it coming out in that way.
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I definitely think that is the experience of, and including myself in this, of of just having an instinct of like, oh, this is, or this isn't what I want to do and having a sense of like, I don't want to do this and I do want to do this. But behind that is a really strong sort of alignment of values and like an understanding of who you are and what you want. And I think that's such a valuable thing. And yeah, most of this work in existential therapy is just about sort of making that more like surface level. So even though you might know it, most people know what they want really, if they can, can really, really think about it Um, and if you don't know what you want there's definitely sort of tools and techniques that you can discover more about who you are and what you care about but yeah when you have those instincts a lot of the existential therapy work is just kind of bringing them more to the surface and then understanding a bit bit more about where they come from that can tell you something about who you are and what you care about and yeah it's just a valuable perspective to have I think.
0: And what advice would you give to leaders whether they're aspiring or whether they're established leaders about finding their purpose because that's quite a big thing we're probably all thinking about a bit aren't we post-lockdown
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question. It's a bit of an intimidating question. I would say um, start by just breaking it down and sort of looking at it quite with a little bit of lightness and almost like a playful approach to it. I think it doesn't have to be, oh no, like what is my purpose? I have no idea. Um, It can just be what are the things you enjoy? Like what do you like doing? There are a lot of tools and techniques. Actually, I wrote a book a few years ago called The Purpose Handbook um, where I kind of went into that topic a bit more in detail and gave loads of exercises of how you can start to sort of discover what your values and your purpose might be those are things like um, there's an exercise called the purpose or meaning tracker it can be used for either a sense of purpose or a sense of meaning and it's basically when you go through um, a week in your life and you kind of write down all of the things that are giving you a sense of meaning or purpose if you're doing it for meaning you can track more personal things like relationships or um, interactions that you have with people if you're doing it for a career purpose you could just track the things that make you feel most alive at work that kind of thing Um, and you're just kind of writing them down and observing like what is it that makes you feel really fulfilled like yourself like you're in flow you're kind of just really present you're engaged you feel like that yeah this is it like this is what I'm doing and then if you can see some kind of consistency track it over a week or maybe two weeks or a month or whatever see some kind of consistency between the things that are giving you that feeling and then you have a bit of a better sense about what it is that you actually that actually kind of you know really feeds your passion um and that could be quite surprising I think when I've done this before um when I think about my legal career you know my job was mainly in corporate tax so I was very like uh legal driven like document heavy work um but the things that were really making me feel fully alive were teaching mentoring writing kind of like being with other people um talking to clients so then you have a sense of okay I think you know I could pivot my job to have more of that and less of the other thing or you know just being a bit more flexible
0: that's really fascinating about um being almost mindful about it, isn't it, being really mindful about the things that really fuel that sense of purpose. And with Gen Z coming into the workplace now, because it sounds like purpose is obviously very important to them. Do you have any insights into what Gen Z are looking for from the worlds of work?
1: Yeah it's hard to say it's always hard to say like what a generate I always feel like oh I can't speak for a whole generation because within that generation there'll be people who also want like the traditional career paths and you know as many of my friends wanted to leave law there are also an equal number of my friends who went straight from university to law school who are now thriving as you know coming up into partnership and stuff like that so there are obviously elements of consistency so I think maybe one of the overarching trends about what people want apart from the sense of like meaningfulness in your career I think there's um, research that indicates that we're going to have about 10 to 12 jobs in a lifetime now which is significantly more than maybe it's been experienced in the past so there's a sense of maybe going into a job and developing some of these higher level skills so if you're going into law that might be um, judgment analysis reasoning debating or writing and then taking those skills and going into journalism or um something else like it's psychotherapy. Like therapy I was gonna say um not that everyone has to do that but they could if they wanted to um hmm. and yeah so this sense of like you're really developing like a personal portfolio of skills and then sort of taking it with you to different places um maybe I think a sense of flexibility is big with Gen Z I think they have so many options now and so many options are open to them that they're kind of they want to shape and form their own careers and this I think Paul's mentioning earlier this might come into a little bit bit of assertiveness when it comes to doing a career that they feel like oh I would actually like to adjust this slightly to fit my preferences a little bit more um, which I think sometimes has been reported on as a sense of entitlement but I actually don't think it's that I think it's more um, people know a little bit more what is possible they know what they want Um, they're kind of aware a bit more of their power coming into the workplace which I definitely wasn't when I was starting in law I thought oh god I'm just going to do everything I'm going to be here all night every night just like trying to do my best um but I think now there's a sense of yeah empowerment or um, self-determination that people are coming into the workplace with.
2: We've heard it quite a lot haven't we over the past couple of years in fact we've probably heard it quite a lot on this podcast about this sense of entitlement and I think that's that's the wrong way to look at it because we've seen so many other shifts in the last two to three years since the the pandemic where people have really looking at their sense of identity and what they want from life. And why would we expect the younger generations not to be doing that too? And I had a really, we sort of touched on this, but I had a really interesting conversation with a friend last week who was saying that her stepdaughter is already about four jobs in. And she sort of marvels at the, the reasons she has for leaving the jobs that she's she's been in. And, and a lot of that is calling out leadership, is calling out the opportunities that, that, you know, were badged but weren't actually there. And what she said was interesting was this sense of, we all thought we had to pay our dues. You know, we went in to do small jobs and getting admin experience, stuffing envelopes, whatever it might be, just to get that bit of experience. And this is a generation that says, well, do I really have to pay my dues? Why do I? You know, tell me, go on. And and I think as Zoe and I, are both parents, we sort of look at this and go, well, yeah, why would you? I mean, yeah, you go out and earn yourself uh, um, some money, but do it doing what you want to do. My son's getting into um, futsal coaching, for example, that might be something that he wants to do, but it's not about sort of going in and picking up experience here and there it's very very thoughtful this is what I want to do and this is how I might move through my career so yeah I completely agree with you and I think that's a really interesting point
1: yeah I think that's um I think that's Such an important perspective to have as well. And especially as so many of these professions are changing now, I know for law, like a lot of my first years were just like (laughs) filing papers and doing various Mm -hmm. things, working alongside paralegals, which in a lot of big law firms don't even exist those teams anymore. So the way that professions are changing so quickly to remove a lot of that work that would have just been the process type work that you were just doing as a junior person because it was like necessary to kind of do that stuff, a lot of that stuff has been overcome by technology and changed so much, even in the last few years that when you do go in now as a junior person you probably are valued a little bit more for your responsibility your ideas like the things that you're bringing in as as an individual human being uh, before we all get taken over by AI or various things Um, so I think it is important to go in with that perspective of like yeah you are valuable as a junior employee and if you have a manager who also is open to you coming in with that attitude I think it can be so productive I think it doesn't necessarily need to be the case that You sort of are forced back into your box. (laughs) You just got to stay down there. I think if you have a manager that's like um, really encouraging of your ambition, of of what you actually want to achieve, that energy can be channeled into just huge career development and opportunities for doing new things. And yeah, I think it could be a really real asset to an organization to have someone like that.
0: Definitely. It it sort of sounds um, a lot like that generation having a really clear sense of being empowered. And I guess some of that must come back to purpose and meaning as well
1: yeah I think people are definitely interested in what it means to have a meaningful career I think the other th- big thing that I see with um this generation <laughs> the generation beneath me um is a focus on values and what they actually in terms of like the things that they will and will not accept like I think they may be one of the most socially aware or socially um, Mm -hmm. empowered uh, generations in terms of like caring about the environment about social justice about things that are going on in the world human rights things like that so i think when you bring a set of values like that into an organization that's also really powerful and then sort of enables you to shape your career in a way that actually might turn you away from some of the more traditional industries and into more maybe like socially aligned organizations and it's interesting to see big um, lots of big corporate organizations try and adjust for that preference so putting more effort into their CSR programs putting more effort into like their corporate values and what they care about as a brand I think that's really interesting to watch because it does come from like the bottom up in in the sense that like that's a response to people who want it both consumers clients and also employees.
2: Yeah we're seeing a lot of that and EDI strategies coming up through that it's it's more about how you again it comes back to that thing about organizations really showing and presenting that purpose as the, the the you know the the marketing tool i guess the the you know come and work with us because these are the things that you will get from working with this organization and making that front and center um and i think it's it's really it's really interesting how um organizations now start to lead with that rather than the here's all the work we're doing for our wonderful clients or, or whatever. It's, it's, it's predominantly going out and making sure that they're fit for the future by bringing in the right type of people with the right type of values into their organisation. And I'm glad as a parent of a younger generation coming through that hopefully uh, those two boys will go into the, the working world with that sense of, right, come on, let's go, in, go out and grab what I actually want.
1: Yeah, I think it's really exciting because eventually, you know, your kids will be like the leaders or the kind of senior people in a profession. And to see those values kind of move up into the higher ends of um, different professions will be really exciting, I think.
0: Yeah, super exciting. I can't wait to see that happen. And with that younger generation, with Gen Z, is there anything in particular that you think leaders should be doing to kind of give them the the things they're expecting around purpose and meaning and inclusion?
1: Yeah, I think taking them seriously is a good start. So I think it's really um it's really rewarding as a young person to be taken like to have your voice heard and to have a meaningful dialogue or a conversation between you and your more senior people I think maybe actually this is something that law as a career does fairly well because traditionally if you went into a big corporate law firm you would immediately be um, partnered for your training period with a senior person so as a trainee you're always you have a supervisor who is like a senior and you'll normally share an office with that person and I think that is a nice way of including a junior person within like the bigger structure and kind of like letting them have have a say in what's going on and sort of have their voice heard I think you can facilitate that in different um sectors and different industries by yeah just opening up opportunities for junior people to have a real input into the more senior ends of work or the profession um so in whatever space you can make a dialogue possible I think that's maybe step one and then really trying to do some like active or empathetic listening to what they actually want what they care about and sort of enabling them to tailor I know like job tailoring or job adjustment is sometimes um Like talked about in these bigger corporate organizations of being able to shift your job slightly in alignment with the things that you say you care about Um, and yeah just giving opportunities and maybe a little bit of opportunity for almost like that idea of like entrepreneurship, where you're being like a bit of an entrepreneur, but within a bigger organization. If a young person has like an idea about what they want to do, or they have an initiative, like enabling them to make that happen. I think that can be so rewarding. And like, that's absolutely something that I was able to do in my corporate career. Like one thing I had um, an idea for was like, A series of talks for junior lawyers where I would like interview one of the senior partners in front of like the the whole team of junior lawyers and like they and they let me do that and they let me like advertise it and they let me run it and I found that so meaningful and it really gave me a sense of like okay this organization cares about me as a person and they want me to like be happy and thriving in my doing my job and even though that wasn't really related to like the corporate tax work I was doing it gave me a real sense of like fulfillment coming into work knowing like actually, it's possible to be who I actually am in this career. So I think stuff like that can be helpful.
0: That's really good, isn't it? That's, that does give work that real sense of meaning, doesn't it? And such a great thing to give to to young people. Um, we well, you know you need to head off in a moment, which is really briefly before you go. Um, just wanted to touch on social mobility and how you factor that into making workplace is more inclusive because I know that's a cause really close to your heart what would you say as a parting thought to leaders about how they need to factor that in
1: oh wow it's such a it's such a multi-dimensional um issue and like such an ongoing challenge and so important for Um, for everyone to think about like regardless of what industry you're in I think sometimes corporate or big corporate organizations can sort of hand the problem off a little bit because they think oh we'll just select from universities like the sort of whatever academic requirements we need and we'll let the universities do kind of the social mobility work of getting the right people into university and then from there we'll kind of just take what like you know the top 10% that comes out but I think it's so much more nuanced than that because you know all through the process there are challenges and obstacles that people who are coming from less advantaged backgrounds face like the whole way through and it is just so frustrating to see organizations do like very little to real like to make real change in this area Um, but I would say if you're within an organization having a really strong social mobility program or initiative or whatever you're doing to bring people into the organization whether that is in your recruitment process whether that is when you go to universities or maybe um, I know in law they're now taking people from the apprenticeship route which I think is really really going to change the face of the profession and it's just so exciting for corporate law to open up like that I think it's a like really interesting move um but also things like even looking at school level or college level um young adults uh bringing them into the workplace can be so valuable like for internships and for opportunities that they may not have otherwise had i think getting work experience is one of the things that can absolutely transform your perspective as a 16 17 year old of seeing like oh this career is so possible and You know, something that I really want to do. And um, so, yeah, opening up uh, work experience opportunities, getting people in for open days and stuff like that, and also outreach. So going out to schools, making yourself known in a school, making yourself visible as a person representing a profession.
0: And um, so many more (laughs) initiatives. But those are some, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much, Eloise. We know you need to hop off in a moment, but this has been such an illuminating conversation for us. So my husband's decided to print something out just as... (laughs) finished recording so I sort of apologize for that but thank you Eloise you've been brilliant
1: oh thank you so much it was so lovely to chat
0: thank you to Eloise for making the time to come onto the podcast we really enjoyed speaking with her and we'll include links to her website in the show notes and we'll include a link to buy her book but are you alive how to design a life worth living
2: Our next episode, and the final one before the Christmas break, will be with Kate Lee, who's CEO of the Alzheimer's Society, and we really can't wait to share that one with you. You can support the podcast by leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to us, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google, and public service announcement. I think next year uh, Google is shutting down their podcast platform, so um, you might want to switch to one of the others, Apple or Spotify, And when you switch to Apple or Spotify, that's your chance to leave us a lovely review.
0: And to subscribe, obviously. Otherwise, you might miss your episodes of Starts at the Top, and uh, then where would we be? Um, And I also just want to say a big thank you to everyone uh, who's listened this week. And we will speak to you next week. So thank you so much for listening.
2: Thank you, and bye for now.